0: You're listening to the Brooklyn USA podcast, an occasional audio love letter from Brooklyn to the world. Each episode of our show rounds a different corner of life in Brooklyn and delivers stories, sounds, and scenery from the people and places that make it home. And until the light changes, we'll be waiting at the intersection of infirmary and infrastructure on a corner we've been calling 1920. Today it's April 17th and tomorrow there'll be sun. it seems like things are getting better and things are getting worse. New York's COVID death count is apparently leveling off, but may be quietly miscounting those who die at home or of unrelated illnesses that go fatally untreated by its overburdened system. State leaders are banding together to protect and prepare us for what's next, but nothing can stop the bodies from piling up and clogging the COVID corridor. The American president assigned his name to checks that were sent out among direct deposits of relief, but is apparently trying to kill every American he thinks won't vote for him. And in a move so disappointingly aligned with every other one he's made, for his inaction and dishonesty, he's scapegoating the world. And if defunding and interrogating the World Health Organization in the apex of a global health crisis isn't harmful enough, misrepresenting the response and current state of other countries surely is. So this week, we're seeing the world the way it sees itself. There was a lot of globe to trot on this one, so this journey's in two parts. Make sure to stick around for part two of the episode after the credits roll on this one. In part one, we change the dial and tune into the radio revolution. Then, we beat the odds and get a glimpse at recovery. Next, we read between the lines of one of history's great loves. Then, we leave the country in search of other care. Next, we see if social distancing sounds the same to everyone. Then we check our messages, and finally, we check the weather. In part two, we catch up with our friends, some old, some new, some borrowed from the crew, to hear how things are going around the globe, and get some worldly advice on staying safe and sane. There comes a time when the world must come together as one. For us, that time is now. After all, we are the world, in Brooklyn, USA. Bringing solidarity, love, music, and expression to a world in isolation is as painfully difficult as it is absolutely necessary. And in the center of one of the world's largest lockdowns, amidst a nation of political unrest and religious persecution, a group of friends, artists, and activists came together to do just that. Here's Radio Quarantine, Kolkata.
1: Bonduke, Porscheke, Chute পারছিনা Borodir Milamisha বন্ধ Choro স্কুল School, বন্ধ মুন Moon Karab, Bishonota, Abnana রেডিও Radio Quarantine Kolkata, Akaki Thekuna, Oshomoy.
2: I'm Kasturi Basu, I'm one of the co founders of uh, this Radio
3: Quarantine uh, Kolkata. I am Darshana. I am also one of the co-founders of uh, Radio Quarantine. Radio Quarantine is a 24-7 web-based radio channel based out of Kolkata.
2: This this project, it began when the lockdown actually began in our city and also in our country. This is a community radio project and uh, six to ten of us are in this. Some are more active than the others. I should say that none of us here in the team had any notions about running how to run a community radio on the internet so we actually learnt on the go Uh, it it began as a sort of um, the idea was like if you ask me to say it in one line it was to bring uh, social solidarity to social isolation we really don't like the term social distancing. It doesn't mean anything. We should say physical distancing, right? Because uh, more of social solidarity is needed at this time. It's uh, it's about people caring for each other and for the community. Otherwise, we can't really make
3: through uh, this crisis. The other thing, of course, that's that has been going on in the country right now is that they, we've been in the middle of a number of protests across a range of issues, but primarily to do with the question of citizenship.
4: They gathered across the capital and from other states in India. Their message loud and clear. The Citizen Amendment Act, or the CAA, as it's known, has to go.
5: India has passed a new law that will make it easier for non-Muslim minorities from neighboring countries to gain Indian citizenship.
6: Opponents of the new law say that it's sectarian and undermines India's
7: secular constitution.
3: What started as a as a movement around the question of discriminatory citizenship laws and laws to determine citizenship has now spawned into a larger question of what does it mean to be a citizen also? COVID-19 came literally in the middle of that, right? Of course, for public health reasons, all of these mass mobilizations and protests and civic spaces had to sort of, you know, dismantle themselves and go back and retreat. And we were constantly being told that social distancing is the way in which you can defeat COVID-19. What we kept feeling was that uh, the word social distancing has a way of also sort of justifying a retreat into the domestic and a retreat away from political spaces, and we didn't want to let that happen. You maintain physical distance from each other, but solidarities need to be kept alive, especially when the country was anyway going through a moment where these solidarities were being forged. We can't let a pandemic disrupt that. We just have to sort of be. Uh, unique in our strategies and radio content was also born as a response to that.
8: hat bazaar e seller se leer Shorgo Lenoye, no tun bachho reelo thrift Parar mudi dokane halkhataybar nehi, ache thomke jawa or thoniti, vishan no muk ache, ache obhab.
2: 80s in India, growing up in Calcutta, there were only two TV channels, you know. So radio used to be a very much a part and parcel of our lives and every household would have at least one or two people who would just keep their radios on as, as long as they were, you know, up and awake. So that was, that was obviously something that we grew up with. Although right now we have uh, so many TV channels in India most of them which are the private TV channels as well as the government TV channels are all uh, you know uh, uh, spreading the same kind of propaganda news which is very favourable to the fascist uh, regime that we have at the centre. So uh, at that point of time what do you do like you are uh, you are a bunch of citizens who want to uh, push the narrative the other way around you you want to tell about most people of India including people like you and me and also the ones who are much much less fortunate you know what possibly could we have done Uh, so radio is uh, one of the mediums that uh, really comes to your rescue at this point of time
3: the other motivations for having this in the radio format was because we we also sense that radio is something that's intimate we have people requesting for songs on our midnight music slot and if you think about it, this requesting for songs business is quite weird in the day of YouTube and Spotify, right? But when you request for the same song to be played, you're doing it because you want somebody to acknowledge that you're there. You're probably alone in your house, and you're listening to something, and you feel recognised.
9: Radio <laughs> Quarantine Kolkata. NIT
3: Most Bengali thing about radio quarantine is the fact that I mean, it's entirely in Bengali and we don't really care about even writing our schedule out in English. Most of us who are involved with the programming of radio quarantine are based out of Calcutta. And I think there is something that happens when you're experiencing trauma of the sort that is COVID-19. And this is a global trauma that the entire world is going through you sort of sink in and you try to seek out the familiar i think that's been one that's been definitely one motivation behind uh, having it entirely in bengali that to reach out to a closer more intimate audience but in ways that everybody in that audience understands I don't know, Kostur. I've actually not really thought about why we decided to do it entirely in Bengali, except that it just so happened. I was like, this yeah, is it great. just
2: happens to be our mother tongue, all of us. So yeah. that's the most natural choice that came uh, came yeah. to us. So
3: the language that we would speak
2: we, if we were able to step out of our homes, to our neighbors, to the next door guy, you know, that's what we are missing. That is the primary language, although we do not have any uh, restriction over other languages that people understand in this region. For example, we have had storytellings or sessions or episodes in English as well as uh, story readings in Hindi, which are the two other languages that uh, people generally understand in this region. Hello, I wish
3: to register a complaint.
2: Hello, Miss? What do you mean, Miss?
7: I'm sorry, I
1: have a cold. Welcome, damas y caballeras y personas no binarias. This is episode 7 of Songs of Comfort for Hypochondriacs and Panicking Lovers on Radio Quarantine slash Quarantine. Uh, Tonight is the third and final volume of Tasteful Tunes for Missing Objects. We begin with a song about restaurants for all of you who are missing going out and eating with friends. This is Arlo Guthrie with Alice's Restaurant.
3: One thing that's emerged from our experience with radio quarantine is that there's an obvious gap for this kind of programming. There's an obvious gap for community-generated programming, um, you know, which is in, is in Bengali, which speaks about topical issues, also decides to have a little bit of fun with music and poetry and literature, and, and programming which feels intimate. It feels like something that you can also be part of if you wanted to. And whether it's in the form of radio quarantine or whether it's in some other form, this gap needs to be filled for sure.
2: rambles, gambols, and perambulations.
0: <laughs> at the start of this crisis, we met Mert Aragol, an emergency room doctor at a Brooklyn hospital that's been completely overcome by corona. Last weekend, Dr. Aragol stepped out of the ER and headed to a repurposed nursing home to tend to COVID patients on the mend. The change of scenery came with a change of tone, but the underlying condition remained the same. Here's Mert.
10: Hi, my name is Mert Aragal. I'm an emergency doctor in Brooklyn, and I've been treating COVID patients for a month now. On Easter Sunday, I worked at a nursing home that has been repurposed into a kind of overflow COVID hospital for people who are too sick to go home, but not quite uh, sick enough to be in the hospital. For weeks, I've been admitting uh, sick patients to the hospital, unsure whether they were going to make it. So it was fitting to spend this sort of Easter holiday of rebirth on the other side of this illness. The nursing home is quiet and nothing's beeping and nobody's in a hurry. Everything feels so slow. It's like we're treating them with time itself. Patients are, you know, lying in bed. Some of them are watching TV, others are just staring at the ceiling, you know, just waiting for the disease to go away. And when you come in to see them, they just sort of nod at you, or maybe not, and nobody seems to have a lot of energy for anything. And the mood among the patients is not one of, you know, real optimism, Um, I'm so excited to leave, but more weariness, everybody's just worn out. There was a young guy who was sick for a month, and he'd lost 30 pounds, and he had become emotional because his appetite had returned, and he was dreaming of food, and all we could talk about was food, and he was so excited to have a beer again. There was an older couple that had both gotten very sick, and miraculously, both of them had beaten the odds and managed to survive, and um, I thought it'd be great to put them in the same room, but... The nurses weren't able to do that. And the, the woman said that she could wait. You know, they'd been married for 46 years and another day without him isn't going to make a difference. And the man had a completely different perspective. He said, no, I, I can't wait. I've been married to this woman for 46 years and we've never been apart for so long. In two different rooms on that floor, a father and a daughter were also being treated for the disease. The father knew, but the daughter didn't know, that the mother had died. And this was something that was known to all the staff, and nobody really knew how to deal with it. It was almost like there was grief sort of hovering over her hospital bed that, you know, hadn't quite settled yet. And we sort of informally decided to respect the father's wishes in this matter. There was a woman who had been intubated and was one of the lucky ones to survive. But it had affected her voice and she could barely talk. And I wandered into her room when she was trying to call her human resources department to let them know that she'd been out sick. But she was hoarse and diminished and couldn't quite make her case. She kept repeating herself. And so I picked up the phone because I could sort of be her voice for her. And I told the uh, human resources people to uh, excuse her for the few weeks that she'd been out, and they were very understanding. There was an old uh, Ukrainian woman, and she was getting better, but she wasn't quite ready to go home. She lived with her older husband, and he hadn't gotten sick yet, so I told her, you can't go home because you're going to infect your husband. And uh, at first she said, oh, he's fine. He's very strong. And then I said, well, listen, you have to go somewhere for two more weeks or maybe send him somewhere. You know, isn't there a child, you know, one of your your kids, maybe you could go to their home. And she said that, you know, my kids are in Ukraine. I don't have anybody else. I'm just with him. And if we die, we die. The COVID hospital uh, was staffed by people from all over the country. There was a doctor with me who came from Vermont to help. She had also been to West Africa to treat Ebola. There was a physician assistant from Philadelphia. There were nurse practitioners from Seattle and Colorado who'd come all the way to Brooklyn just to contribute. In our own hospital emergency room, some of the residents who graduated from our training program and sort of spread out all across the country have returned. nobody's doing it for the applause I mean they just see that there's a problem and they feel like they can help and in a way they're the same people who would otherwise be making masks or sending food or applauding or banging pots in the streets you know every every evening which by the way is just such a lovely gesture and this is the lesson of the pandemic for me and this is the the memory that I'll have uh, and, and and we'll choose to hold on to for the rest of my life, that there are good people everywhere, and despite everything, we can afford to have faith in each other in these difficult times and this new world, you know, that we're all going to have to
0: contend with. Health care is not created equally, and in countries where the systems of care are already overburdened, A viral outbreak can mean total disruption. And facing the added influx of a stream of deportees constantly arriving from the United States, a team of doctors, scientists, and community health workers in Haiti jumped into immediate action. Here's Mark.
8: Hi, my name is Mark Chilmes. I work for Partners in Health, Samy La Santé in Haiti. I am currently at one of our sites in Haiti in the Central Plateau. I am at the University Hospital in Mirbalet or Hôpital Universite de Mirbalet. It is a 300 bed teaching hospital that we started in 2013. I can say that this pandemic has had a profound effect on our country, as in many places. We now have 41 cases in our country, which is relatively small in comparison to other places. Um, The country has put in some uh, measures in order to protect the population. Um, The country has imposed a curfew. We encourage social distancing. They have required that the population wear masks. This has changed our way of living, as in other places. From the time that we heard about COVID-19 pandemic, we started mobilizing our team, started training on PPE and what the disease and how best we can get ahead of this. Our team started working immediately with our network on writing policies and protocol on how to dress the care of patients and how to best provide community outreach to start teaching the population about what COVID-19 is, what are prevention methods, how can you protect your family and those members around you. And we started working with other members of our community to make more masks, seeing if we could get locally sourced materials so that we can have some protective materials for patients and our staff at the hospital. Um, we have mobilized the best way that we can in order to best combat COVID-19 or at least to get ahead of it if it is possible. It is inconceivable for us to do everything on our part um, to limit the exposure of COVID-19 into the community by going to the borders and testing people, identifying early cases, and to come in early. At the same time, we're receiving deportees from the United States, which is a country that has widespread COVID-19. We're receiving deportees into this country that have the potential to be either pre- symptomatic or asymptomatic at this point to come into the country and expose others in a place where we already have compromised health system that we are having already overburdened health system to add more to that is something that many of us do not understand why at this point needs to continue why at this point the deportations need to happen when we do not have a containment of this 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 global pandemic we all know that we all have a new reality right now and we are all doing the best that we can as a community, as individuals, to limit the spread, to to educate as much as we get to protect ourselves as healthcare workers. Our expectation, our hope would be that the governments would be doing the same thing to protect the healthcare workers, to protect the population um, and to really stop the deportations at this point so that we're not adding more burden to a system that is already overburdened.
4: There are roughly three New Yorks. There is, first, the New York of the man or woman who was born there, who takes the city for granted and accepts its size, its turbulence as natural and inevitable. Second, there is the New York of the commuter, the city that is devoured by locusts each day and spat out each night. Third, there is New York of the person who was born somewhere else and came to New York in quest of something. Of these three, trembling cities, the greatest is the last, the city of final destination, the city that is a goal. It is this third city that accounts for New York's high-strung disposition, its poetical deportment, its dedication to the arts, and its incomparable achievements. Commuters give the city its title restlessness, natives give it solidity and continuity, but the settlers give it passion. And whether it is a farmer arriving from Italy to set up a small grocery store in a slum, or a young girl arriving from a small town in Mississippi to escape the indignity of being observed by her neighbors, or a boy arriving from the Corn Belt, with nothing but a manuscript in his suitcase and a pain in his heart, it makes no difference. Each embraces New York with the intense excitement of first love. Each absorbs New York with the fresh eyes of an adventurer. Each generates heat and light to dwarf the consolidated Edison Company. My name is Hanni Fiesti, and this has been an excerpt of E.B. White's *Here Is New York*.
1: Radio. My name is Fianca Ray. Hi,
11: my name is Bridget Nazimoli. My name is Lucy Rakabuba. My name is Shirin and I'm from Iran.
9: Santiago.
12: Mayumi Sato.
8: And I'm from Argentina.
12: My name is Billy Clapes
8: Hi, Peter Clapes here. I'm original
12: from Mistras, Sparta, Greece. And the last... 64 years i live in Brookline, massachusetts i just moved to texas from boston
1: i'm currently sitting in my home in kolkata now
12: i'm in florida with my daughter's family
6: we're just trying to settle in and get used to the way of things down here and then the coronavirus happened originally i'm from uganda that's east africa the term social distancing Uh, Well, in my primary language, it's called Oqueyaula. That technically translates into you separating yourself from other people or trying to isolate.
9: Social distancing means distanciamiento social en espanol.
1: Taijinkyori no kakuho, securing the personal distance. My first language is Bengali. It's my mother tongue. Social distancing loosely translates to shamagic duri."
9: I heard some people also call it pausa social and recreo social because of the bad connotations that distancing may have.
12: In Art of Greece, we say, kratse apostasi. In another part, they say, keep your distance, go down. Meme presiasis.
4: Menum um which essentially translates um, in English to uh, we stay at home or we remain at home.
12: We have a lot of different ways to express our feelings.
1: I guess it can also have a sort of emotional um, connotation as well. Duri being the distance in between people, um, distance between hearts, distance between spirits. But I would say, you know, in the news channels and when people are speaking, people aren't really using the Bengali term because, like, there isn't exactly a specific, proper, literal translation of social distancing in Bengali.
5: There's not really a direct equivalent of... Words such as social distancing in Persian, which is my native language. Um, I've seen a bunch of people in Iran use the term Jodasazi, which simply means separation.
11: Uh, there's not really a word for social distancing in Swahili, but
5: more of an act. Uh, most recently, I've also been hearing folks say Duryodusi, which basically means friendship from afar or faraway friendship. Which is catchy and kind of has a nice ring to it, but could also have a somewhat negative connotation, uh, meaning keeping someone at an arm's length. What I
11: just said was uh, to stay away from others and staying at home so you don't infect others or they infect you. It's been really difficult
6: I want to say because as Ugandans we are very social people we like to hang around and hang you know hang out and we have very you know extended families and we're always visiting people visiting relatives and for us to have to stay indoors 24-7 especially back home that has been really very difficult and very challenging for most people.
1: You know, culturally in India, we don't really believe in space. It can be a little annoying at times, but culturally, we are the sort of people who share emotions, joy, sadness. You know, we're always up in each other's business. There's 1.3 billion of us. So, you know, there's literally very little space in our country. So social distancing and maintaining physical distance becomes really, really hard. We have, you know, the biggest slums in the whole world, which is Dharavi in Mumbai. And last I heard there are 22 positive cases of COVID-19 in the slums. So, you know, when we talk about social distancing on a practical level, it's just really, really hard. It's actually close to impossible. There's just too many of us and too little space. The
4: Greek way of life is, um, it has been turned on its head. You know, we're known for never keeping socially distant in our daily lives. You know, we greet each other with, 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 with two kisses. From my
11: family, uh, they like to go out and you know socialize. Uh, so it's been a little harder for them.
9: It has been. Meant- a lot of changes for all my family, for my parents, my cousins, my brothers. Um, None of them is allowed to go to anybody else's houses.
11: Personally, social distancing hasn't really been too much of a challenge, per se, uh, because I like to stay indoors and I don't like to go out too much. Of course, I miss hanging out with my friends and being outside and going to school and work. But um, it hasn't really been that challenging. I live in New York, and my family is in Japan. So usually I don't see them very often. But now, I speak to my sister and my mother over the phone almost every other day. It's because of this pandemic situation we just want it checking in each other.
12: I call my relatives in Greece and in Boston and here in America and wall pray and wall pray, not for us, but for the whole world.
5: It's been quite challenging translating some of these COVID-related words and phrases into Persian. But I think it's okay. I think we should all translate this pandemic on our own terms, in our own words, and resist the hegemony of the English language.
1: I, I don't like to think of social distancing as being you know, emotionally distant from those that I love. Because just because you know, we're far away from each other physically doesn't mean that our spirits are far away from each other.
5: Hope everyone's safe.
12: Thank you, bye-bye.
10: I hope this will be
4: over quite soon. Thanks.
12: And I hope the sickness is getting over very soon. Okay?
9: Good evening, this is Hannah Minjung-Herbertson reporting live from Stockholm, Sweden. But before I get into the Swedish situation, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Brick. I used to be a student at Brick, took a lot of different classes. And I used to live in Bed-Stuy. So I just want to give a lot of extra love to my Brooklyn peoples. So here in Stockholm, Sweden, it's pretty much um, not like everywhere else in the world. People are not in quarantine or we're not forced or told to be in quarantine, but they are um, encouraging us to do it. Uh, the people that can, you know, work from home, wash our hands, don't visit the old people. But um, everything's open still. Just it's, uh, it's just the colleges and universities that are closed. Like daycares are open, for example. So this soft approach to fighting the virus um, uh, doesn't sit right with me. I've been self-quarantining myself for the the past four weeks and just going outside to the woods for taking walks and um, grocery runs, but uh, avoiding to take uh, subways and buses uh, and also seeing people. Uh, But a lot of people here don't really realize um, how severe it can get, I think, because people still hang out in groups and... Um, have beers, have bars and, you know, not really worrying about keeping the distance that much which is worrying Um, and it's a a small country, we have like 10 million people here the death rate is now the death number is about 1300 Um, so we'll see I'm hoping for the best but I'm worried what will happen due to this um, soft approach but, yeah, we'll see. So, again, a lot of love to everyone in New York. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I uh, hope
7: to see you soon. Weekend weather with griffin'. Weekend weather with griffin'. Hey, everybody, it's meteorologist Griff City talking about the weekend weather, your city, Brooklyn, New York day Friday high 52 low 45 it will be partly cloudy Saturday high 50 low 40 it will be rainy in the morning Sunday high 63 low 48 it will be sunny Clouds are very important for predicting the weather all over the world and there are 10 different types of clouds. As of this April, the International Cloud Atlas is available in the official UN languages. Check it out. Weekly fun fact. Did you know the New York bird is an eastern bluebird? And that the flower is a rose? Thank
0: you for listening.
7: Brooklyn!
0: Brooklyn, USA is produced by me, Sasha Mathias.
5: And me, Emily Bogosian. And me, Shirin Barahi.
4: And me, Charlie Hoxie. And me, Carol Palmer. And me, Ross
0: Tuttle.
1: And me, Sriyanka Ray. And me, Mayimi Sato.
0: With help this week from Brick Radio Junior Meteorologist Griff City, Taylor Cook, Lauren Germain, Taha Ahmed, Karla, Maren Dagnew, Inigo,
4: Piotr,
7: Dana, Gabriele,
4: Ross Armstrong,
8: Zade Bansu, Stacey, Leibok, Meadow,
4: Arthur, Baut, Billy,
8: Eosu, so Winnie, Gaspard, it's Mark Shilmes, Leila Daya, Judy,
4: Ohad, Rosane, Susna,
0: Defan, Kristoff,
6: Vajija Mariam Barghouti, Hania. Raquel, Bridget Nazimoli, Lucy Rakabuba,
0: Santiago, Billy Kleips, Peter Kleips, an anonymous caller in Wuhan, an expat in Ecuador, my uncle sit in Guyana, Bantu, and Entranyi Torenzo who provided original music for the episode. They say it takes a village, and this one certainly did. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you to Ethan Liu, Daniel Rios, Shiji Awoyinka, Ana Catalan, Ilya Schnitzer, Arthur and Jamie, Marion and John, Ellen, Jessica Lander, Allison and Santi, Yonatan Rosen, Dave Mark, Jack Barrett, and Ellen Barrett for helping us reach out to the whole wide world so that we could bring it all home to Brooklyn. To hear from the rest of our friends and family abroad, stick around for part two of this episode, where we visit almost 30 different countries from the shelter of our place. If you want to leave us a message, check the show notes for a link to our handy guide to recording a voice memo and sending it into the show. But if you'd rather reach out the old-fashioned way, you can always call us at 917-719-0021. And tell us your name, where you're calling from, how to reach you, and anything else you want to get off your chest. We're here when you need us, and we can't wait to hear from you. If you like what you hear, comment, like, share, and subscribe, and follow at BrickTV on Twitter and Instagram for updates. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org. radio